Turn with me to Jonah. Um, We'll be reading the first three verses of chapter 1, and then be reading from chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 4, verse 4. So we start with Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. Jonah, chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then we'll turn to chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and and sat in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently to God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had, he had threatened. But to, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This, that, this, um, that, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Well, let's take our seats, shall we? You'll see that the uh, table is uh, laid for communion, uh, the Lord's Supper this morning. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, your relationship with God now and into eternity, please join us. The, the uh, communion here takes about 10 to 15 minutes at the end of our main service. There is a rather silly story, uh, some of you may have heard before, Uh, about uh, a rather large Irish lorry driver who's parked, uh, who stopped at a set of traffic lights behind uh, a young teenager who's just passed his driving test. And uh, the lights turn to green, and in his hastiness, this young driver stalls his car. And then he tries to start it again, and he floods the engine, and by the time he's got it going the lights have turned to red again. Of course, in the meantime, the lorry driver has been releasing his air brakes, getting ready to go forward, gone forward about a foot, slammed his foot on the brakes because his car stalled in front of him. (sighs) The lights turned green, 
And lo and behold, the same thing happens again. Again, this young teenager revving up, suddenly does a couple of kangaroos, the car stalls, floods the engine, can't get it going. And again, the lights turn to red. This time, the Irish lorry driver's getting a bit frustrated. He's had to release his brake again, jump forward about six inches, slam his brakes on. He's getting frustrated. It happens a third time, and that's enough. So he comes down, climbs down from his cab, goes up to the window, knocks on the window. Very gingerly, the young man puts the window down. The Irishman says to him, Now tell me, young man, what particular shade of green are you wanting before you get moving? (laughs) Well... That question could be asked of many of us and many churches in the UK when it comes to mission and evangelism. Now, we know there are lots of commands and lots of encouragements in the Bible for us to get moving with mission and evangelism. And yet, so little movement in evangelism in us as individuals and in us as churches. And God must wonder... You know, what word for go are we waiting for before we get moving? Well, that reluctance amongst God's people, people like us, to engage in mission and evangelism is nothing new. As we see in this book of Jonah, that reluctance goes back hundreds, if not thousands, of years. And the opening words tell us a simple but rather shocking story. Maybe you might just want to turn with me to the book of Jonah in your Bible. If you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 927. 927. And we see in these verses a very clear call that goes to Jonah. So it starts like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. A very clear call, but also a very clear refusal. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. It's interesting, he doesn't simply say, I'm not going anywhere and just stay where he is. He actually goes in completely opposite direction. So Nineveh was kind of east from where he was living, and he goes deliberately west from where he was living. He goes in completely the opposite direction. You can see that if it had been left to people like Jonah, so typical of God's people at that time, then the warning of God's judgment and the opportunity to repent and be saved would never have gone beyond the boundaries of Israel. Uh, You might say that uh, God's people at that time, uh, like Jonah, were happy to keep their light under a bushel, to keep uh, the word of God just to themselves and keep it hidden from others. But God had another prophet with a very different spirit, who would one day come willingly, Jesus, his only son, who's brought before us this morning in these elements of our communion table. And that prophet, Jesus, would very willingly come with the word of God's warning 
to people in danger. And that prophet would very willingly come and point people to the path of repentance and to the place of salvation. This morning it's because of Jesus and his love for people like us that the message of grace has crossed and continues to cross the many boundaries in our world. So let me just try and sum up the message of the Bible to us this morning simply and clearly like this. We're going to put it up on the screen. God wants you and I to do the work of Jonah, but in the spirit of Jesus. He wants us to do the work of Jonah, but in the spirit of Jesus. And this morning, we're simply just going to look at those two things. The work of Jonah and the spirit of Jesus. Well, the work of Jonah is very clear. We're going to put it up on the screen. It's simply this, to take God's word into God's world. Now, this uh, book of Jonah is not the only place where we come across this prophet, and uh, we find him also in the book of 2 Kings, uh, chapter 14, verses 23 to 27. We're just going to put that up on the screen. So this is the other place in the Bible where we read about Jonah. Uh, In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, and here we go, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath, Hepha. So here we have Jonah in the center of Israel, prophesying to the king of Israel, and saying that that king was going to restore some of the boundaries of Israel, probably through victory in battle. So that was a rather nice prophecy for him to be able to, uh, to bring, and a very nice prophecy for um, Jonah to see being fulfilled. But the work of Jonah in this book that we're looking at this morning is very different. He's not called to go to Israel, but to go away from Israel, a long way away. And he's called to go to a place called Nineveh, which was the capital city of a great empire called the Assyrian Empire. A truly very foreign place. And there's a picture there. Uh, See how it's it's talked about by God, says to Jonah, you've got to go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. One of the great treasures in the British Museum is these kind of wall sculptures which actually come from uh, one of the palaces in Nineveh. And it gives you an idea of how, how, how violent and militaristic and aggressive and mighty and powerful the people of Assyria were, and particularly those that you found in their capital city of Nineveh. It was not a very comfortable place for Jonah to be called to go to. It was a superpower at the time. Uh, it had attacked Israel in the past... And we know it would do so in the future. It was a threatening neighbour, as it were, to have for Israel. Uh, They used very grisly forms of torture to subdue and frighten enemy nations. And therefore, in Jonah's day, Nineveh was this superpower most to be feared by the people of Israel. The place, therefore, least likely 
find one of God's servants. One of the great messages from the book of Jonah is, however, that God has no boundaries for his word. His word is to be heard everywhere, even in the most unlikeliest of places. Right at the very beginning, when God called Abraham to be his own, he said, all nations of the earth would be blessed through you. That, that was the work of Jonah, to take God's world, God's word to God's world. To everywhere, to everyone, there's no boundaries. He wants to bring his word even to you, no matter how distant you might feel sometimes from him. No matter what things have happened in the past that make you think, well, he's not interested in me. There's no boundaries in God's word. His word is for his whole world. And we're called by that same calling ourselves. And as we've got up here, on that, we're reminded, aren't we, that the, that the church was told that it would go to make disciples of all nations. We, we, are, we are given that same call, that same work of Jonah, to take God's word to God's world. But we're often very slow to respond to that. It's been interesting to see over the weekend that the uh, International Trade Secretary, Liam Fox, has got himself into hot water after um, accusing British uh, business of not being ambitious when it comes to trade abroad. He suggested that chief executives would rather spend their time on the golf course than pursuing international export opportunities. He feels that there are opportunities being missed because of self-indulgence. I think in many ways the same could be said for the church when it comes to mission. There are many opportunities, but very often it's our self-indulgence, our reticence that makes us unwilling to cross boundaries and to take God's word to God's world. We can be very self-indulgent and we can miss many opportunities. Now, I don't anticipate that many folk at Grove Hill Evangelical Church We'll be called to up sticks and move abroad to take God's word to God's world in some far-flung place. But we should never uh, deny, as it were, that that could very well happen. I think far more relevant for the majority of us is simply the need to put ourselves into places where we can get to know non-Christians and look for opportunities to share the truth with them. Now, for many of you here... Uh, Your workplace might seem to provide the best opportunity for that. Although it's not always easy to get into serious one-to-one conversations in uh, many workplace settings. I remember when I was in business, I didn't have many opportunities uh, to talk to people one-on-one, often because there was lots of other things going on, and we were all very busy doing other things. From time to time, however, when I was travelling with a colleague, just the two of us in a car, on a train, whatever it might be, then there might have been an opportunity to try and get, as it were, below the surface in conversation. But we need to be looking for opportunities, to be creative about how we might make those opportunities, perhaps with work colleagues, perhaps outside of the workplace. Let me just suggest three things that you might want to think about uh, to encourage you in building relationships whereby the truth of God's word can be shared into God's world. I think the first thing is this. I would say that we should be thinking about how we use our leisure activities. 
Think about sports clubs that you might be able to belong to. Think about places where you might have a shared interest with others. Places where you go there to do something, and there will be downtime. There will be a time when people say, oh, come, let's have a cup of tea. And there will just be an opportunity, a downtime, in these places, going to it, coming back with somebody, offering somebody a lift, whatever it might be, just opportunities where you and one other person and you might just be able to go below the surface. You get to understand what their fears are, what their beliefs are, what they're trusting in, and how you can share the truth of the gospel with them. Think about using your leisure activities. The second thing I would say here, think about ways of how you can connect with your neighbours. Maybe if there's opportunity to help a neighbour in your street, that very often opens the door for a listening ear. And again, it can just provide that opportunity. You know, you go and do something, you help somebody, and they say, well, let's have a cup of tea. Let's just go and sit in the garden for ten minutes. And suddenly you're just there with them on their own. It just means you can get below the surface. They can start to be honest with you about the things going on in their life. Look for opportunities to connect with neighbours. And then thirdly, just a special plea to those who are retired. Use your retirement to connect with people. Very many people in this church who are retired are in good health. They have a lot of time on their hands, more time than they ever had when they were working. And there are great opportunities for us to develop relationships with folk. Places of shared interest, things like the University of the Third Age, opportunities through voluntary work and so on. It's great ways that people have got time on their hands to connect with others and thereby take God's word into God's world. I I think we all have those opportunities. Sometimes maybe you have to sit down and talk to somebody and say, just help me to see where they are, or help me to think about how I might create those opportunities. And in an area like this, and in a place like London, we will be taking God's word to God's world. Because in London, God's world has come, hasn't it? So many different nationalities. We don't have to travel abroad take God's word to God's world. We can do it in South Woodford. We can do it in the city of London. That's the work of Jonah, to bring God's word to God's world. But we will only do it if we know something of the spirit of Jesus. We'll only do it if we know something of the spirit of Jesus. Jonah's attitude of heart, of course, won't get us anywhere. Uh, People have recorded the reluctant prophet or the runaway prophet. And a later section in this letter, which Mel kindly read for us, shows us why he was so reluctant and why he ran away. If you just look at chapter 3 and verse uh, 10, we'll find that later on in the book of Jonah, the word of God comes to him a second time and he does go to Nineveh. And when he gets there, he does what he's told. He does give a warning. And then we see this is what happened. I've just got it up on the screen. You might want to follow it through. Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what the people in Nineveh did, they repented. They had a fast. They covered themselves with sackcloth and ashes, etc. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And just look at Jonah's reaction to this. But to Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. 
He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than live. He's really angry at the fact that God has been merciful. He really doesn't want this neighbouring nation to hear the good news. He's so nationalistic and concerned about just his own little group of people that he's not bothered about anybody else. That's Jonah's spirit at this time. Let me just put on the screen the comparison between Jonah and Jesus. So here we go. Jonah knew, he knew this. He knew his mission would result in the salvation of many within Nineveh. He says, I knew this was going to happen. He knew that his mission would result in the salvation of many within Nineveh. That his country's most threatening enemy, deserving of judgment, would receive grace and compassion. And his nationalistic attitude... His selfishness and pride stopped him from going on that mission. Look at the comparison. Jesus also knew that his mission would result in the salvation of many. Not just in Nineveh, but many across the world. He knew that those who are most opposed to him and most deserving of God's judgment would receive grace and mercy. And nothing would stop him from going on that mission. Nothing would stop him from going on that mission. I think these elements before us this morning give us a glimpse into what it cost the Lord Jesus to be able to bring the message of grace and compassion to a people deserving of judgment. Here we have a a typical section from the end of one of the Gospels. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, but stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet, not as I will, but as you will. So if you and I are going to be engaged in the work of Jonah, we will have to do it in the spirit of Jesus. And something of that spirit we just kind of put up on the screen here, look. We have to do it in the spirit of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Just understand that. What what we're seeing here is, what is the spirit of Jesus? The spirit of Jesus is this. For the joy of seeing people like you and I, deserving of judgment, receiving grace and compassion, the joy of that was enough to make Jesus endure the cross. To endure the unendurable. And I just want to ask this question of you. Will a similar joy motivate you this morning? to be involved in mission, witness, evangelism. So think about that work colleague who's fixated with money and with status. 
whose foolishness and pride has come up before God. Think about the fact that that individual can receive grace and compassion through you. Now, would that bring you joy? If it would, that is the spirit of Jesus. Or think about that neighbour who's declining in health with no future hope and whose failure ever to acknowledge their creator has come up before God. They can know forgiveness, assurance of grace in glory through you. And that would bring you great joy, wouldn't it? That's the spirit of Jesus. And that friend of yours who's trapped in a false religion, whose neglect of Jesus is galling to our Heavenly Father, that individual can know the truth about Christ and his great work of reconciliation through you. And that would bring you great joy, wouldn't it? That's the spirit of Jesus. Let me just end by reminding you of this. Somebody doing the work of Jonah in the spirit of Jesus brought the message of the gospel to you. And it gave them exceeding joy when they saw you respond to that. That joy is available for you and I when we do the work of Jonah in the spirit of Jesus. Well, let's just pause for a minute. We might just want to dwell on those things for a while before we sing our final hymn and come around these elements. As we have these things before us, let's just think about the work of Jonah.